I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How are you now broadcasting from the BIP Show studios in Castle Ray Street in Sydney? You are listening to the all-new Old BIP Show Season 7, Episode 9, I think. Could be 10, I don't care. This show is brought to you by the Australian Mutual Funds Exchange, and thank you for all of the help that they have given us. Phones off, boys. Uh, speaking of which, I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, all of the information in this podcast is general in nature, and if you have any questions, then please talk to an advisor, uh, which is what I do. So I went backwards on that one. I'm joined today by Heath Moss of HLM Investments. Heath, how are you now? Uh, good, thanks. How, how is everyone else? Hope you're well. Oh, mate, I'm killing it. It's Friday. Uh, what time is it? It's Friday, 11.04 on the 31st of March, 2023. Oh, my God. It is the end of the quarter. We've seen some trouble out there. Also joining us, and this is all part of the thing, we're not going to wait and just hold him back here, Pete Wargent from Buyers Buyers. How are you going? I'm champing at the bit and uh, excited to be on debut as well with Heath Moss. So uh, good to be on. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, the privilege no, is all mine. <laughs> no worries at all. Uh, look, just just get straight into it. Over in the States, the biggest thing that's happening is commercial real estate uh, over there. And, I mean, Heath, Heath, you've got stats. I've got stats on exactly what's going on. We saw, I mean, I've got a tweet here from a guy called Joe Consorti, and this is funny because it was actually another one of these things carrying on with what we were talking about last week of, of people ripping people off, a bit of, you know, potentially, you know, not not fraud, but a bit of copy and paste sort of work going on on Twitter with people who are sort of pretending to be who they are. But the, the original post was for some Joe Consorti talking about vacant office space in the U.S., um, and he's got an amazing Bloomberg chart that he'd, uh, that he'd put together, the U.S. Metro office space vacancy, um, which shows that no rent is being paid on one-fifth of all U.S. office space. That's $46 billion, billion of variable rate office debt will mature and need to be rolled this year. There's a wave of defaults coming. Now, that tweet was actually basically copy and pasted by that macro elf guy who <laughs> is is allegedly not who he says he is. Um, and uh, But anyway, so the original post was there. Or just a continuing disclaimer that beware of who you are following and where you're getting your information from. Anyone who's trying to sell you a subscription, maybe just steer clear of that uh, if you can. Heath, you had a really good stat about commercial property as well, didn't you? Yeah, it's it's phenomenal in the US. So not just office space, but commercial uh, real estate overall. There's $432 billion worth of uh, loans that we need to roll over and be refinanced by 2025. So, you know, in the next 18 months or so, a um, little bit longer, they need to uh, roll the, all those over. And, of course, they're all rolling over to much higher rates. Yeah. Um, and as of this year, so far, $160 billion have been or rolled over or scheduled to be rolled over, and $30 billion of that is already past due. So you're starting to see problems already. I'm hearing billions of defaults are already coming through. Um, and this could be a big problem, especially for 
wait for it, the regional banks who, who have the largest exposure out of anyone in the US to yeah. these properties. Um, I saw stats, Bloomberg stats, of them financing around 30% of all of commercial uh, real estate uh, deals that, last year. Was that Resi? Oh, that was last year. Okay. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure what, it, what what they've been doing this year. But I've um, seen, Yeah, I'd yeah. say that 70 to 80% of yeah, the funding for, CR, for yeah. CRE does come from the regional. So that's mm. X, X, the top 25 banks in America. Mm. That's, mm. A big, that's a big amount of exposure. The real question is, is this actually a thing or is this just a lot of people who are getting excited about something and it actually turns out to be nothing? Yep, I mean, not, that, look, that was a question. That wasn't. That wasn't rhetorical. Yeah, that was actually. Look, what, what do you reckon? Look, I'm. I, th- I think it's hard because we think it could be a thing, but because but the theory of things suggests it's not because we know about it and we're talking about it, and so you know it shouldn't be a problem moving forward. But uh, I, I just can't see how this doesn't become a problem where the Fed or the government or someone has to step in and and prop up. Um, these regional banks uh, again later this year or next year because, um, I mean, you're talking about defaults and then obviously these regional banks taking possession of these uh, these properties and fire sales and obviously this is going to impact earnings, it's going to impact their balance sheets, um, it could impact confidence in these banks and cause runs on these banks again. Um, yep. And all the meanwhile, you know, we had the Fed raising rates again last week by 25 basis points. So, um <sighs> I, I think it's going to be a thing. I think because, I mean, I've spoken about how I think the US is heading into a uh, recession in Q2 and Q3 of this year. Something like this, if it blows up, could mean the difference between a shallow recession and a nasty deep recession, I think. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and it is there. So I, the keep in mind too that I always have to remember to remind people that there is no such thing as a colossal disaster that just kills everything. There is a quick and very ably uh, implemented. It's not always it's not always the best work, but it's it's it gets it done. There is a mm-hmm. solution to everything. There is no solution that is too big that it can't just be fixed by the Fed throwing money at it. So if you think that this is actually a thing, and if you think that there's actually going to cause the downfall of civilization, then you have to play the next part of the tape, which is what does the Fed and various government agencies, because the Fed isn't a government agency, you have to remind people of that too. Um, what does what what does the big guys do to fix it? And then that's how you invest based on that. So I think that probably first off, you you probably want to steer clear of commercial real estate in the states. That's the easy way of going about it. But uh, anything else going on, Heath? Just generally to. to Taking um, off the general chit chat area of the of the show. Yeah, yeah look, uh, the the Aussie markets had a very very good week this week. Uh, at yeah. this stage, if all things being equal, we'll be up around three percent for the week. Um, end of the quarter stuff. So uh, take that with a uh, pinch of salt, a grain mm. of salt. Mm. Um, but yeah, all things have looked really good so far. Uh, the Nasdaq uh, for the quarter is up eighteen percent, um, even with all this banking stuff going on. And you're still going. You've got the the. I think it's the um, S and P is up about five percent as well. So, um, look, I mean, there's been a bit of uh, fun in the lithium space. We've had a uh, takeover offer for Liontown Resources um, come through from Albemarle in uh, South America. Uh, that was rejected. It was around two dollars fifty a share. Um, it's sort of brought the li- uh, the the sector back to life. It was in the bit in the pits because you know uh, Chinese spot price lithium is down. I think sixty percent now from its highs. Yeah. So um, we're seeing a real uh, a, a sort of softening of demand there in China. 
Um, but I think there's there, there could be a bit of merger and acquisition stuff going on in in the, the space because valuations have come down. Um, if you look at something like a PMT Patriot Battery Battery Metals, um, they're over in James Bay in, in Canada. They should announce their um, you know Jork resource anytime soon, and that's estimated to be around 136 million tons at around one and a half percent lithium which would be absolutely massive, um, especially for the first up uh, shot at that space, uh, that, that oh, was first uh, resource estimate. Um, and then someone like a WR1 Winsome Resources also in that space, but much smaller market cap. I think yes. those two could come under some merger and acquisition uh, activity in the next six months or so. It's always, it's always so funny doing that. I don't think I've ever had success buying a stock on on takeover rumor or takeover takeover chat. In all of these years of doing that, I've never ever been able to strike it right. Um, but there it is. There's a couple of stock codes that you mentioned there that I've had to mute on Twitter. Gee, they, they, they do get people excited, don't they, mate? They do. They do. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm kicking myself. I saw Patriot Battery, Battery Metals at one dollar oh, eighteen months ago on the Canadian exchange on the TSX, and I decided it was too hard to start buying on the TSX, so I just left it alone. <laughs> and that uh, that thing's at sixteen, seventeen dollars on the TSX, but it's duly listed here now because uh, uh, I can't. I think they might have some assets here, but uh, the old uh, Pilbara Minerals um, CEO jumped on board as well. Um, so I cool. think um, they're just sort of tapping our market, so they obviously know how popular lithium, etc., is here as well. Okay, well, we're going to get straight into it. You know him and love him, Pete Wargent uh, from Buyers Buyer, Buyers Buyer or Buyers Buyers? I keep forgetting. Uh, plural. Uh, plural. Both, buyers, um, buyers. Either's fine. Um, well, I, 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 I think I do own a chunk of this uh, this business, actually. I'll just have to check. The, full um, disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> full disclosure. I am uh, obviously I'm biased to you as well, mate, because you're such a good bloke. We had an election, Pete. Um, what happened? And what does, it, what does it mean? You know, just go generally. We had an election. It has fallen in the way of... The ALP, I actually haven't checked because of everything that's been going on the last few days. I haven't actually checked to see if they're going to be holding government in their own right or, or going through um, in a minority. Oh, what- yeah. So, look, the, the bookies had um, ALP as red-hot favourites and they won at a canter. So, yep. um, it's um, – yeah, look, uh, I think nobody's surprised by this um, in terms of what it means in housing world because uh, both parties campaigned hard on housing policies. Um, so – um, Parite and the Liberals had a policy in place whereby first home buyers could opt to pay no stamp duty up to $1.5 million, which created a bit of demand at that end of the market. Um, they could instead opt for an annual land tax. And I think the general idea was we would, over time, move more in the direction of annual land taxes and away from lumpy stamp duty revenue. Well, that's... Um, uh, that that didn't last very long because <laughs> uh, Labor won the election easily in the end. So the Labor's promised to abolish stamp duty for first-time buyers up to $800,000, which mm. is useful, I guess, if you're buying in the Central Coast or Wollongong. Um, could be a challenge in Sydney, of course. Um, so, yeah, that window of opportunity didn't last long, and there's some concessional stamp duty rates up to $1 million. I think um, a lot of the other policies that Labor campaigned hard on uh, boosting social housing supply, which um, is much needed, not just in New South Wales, all across the country. I don't think anybody disagrees that we need more social and universal housing. And there's plenty of public land that's close to transport hubs that can be used for that. Um, the usual campaigning on removing red tape. Most of the other policies were really moving 
uh, rights in favour of tenants. Um, so there'll be a rental commissioner. Uh, there'll be no secret rent bidding that's been banned. And just things like um, getting down to the real detailed level, uh, changes to, I don't know, if you request a pet in a rental. You know, things are being made easier for tenants at a time when it's been bloody hard to find a rental. Um, also, there'll be portable bonds, so you can transfer bonds across from one rental to another. So, look, I guess, yeah, lots of moving That's deck handy. chairs yeah. around. Yeah, yeah but uh, not really tackling the uh, elephants in the room that we've got record high immigration. We're going to get a million people over two years, and the yeah, supply is about, not, not meeting that. demand. <laughs> yeah, where's, like, I, I saw I saw our friend from the ABC... <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going to repeat him, but um, sort of come back with a tweet on you. He 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 does keep saying, and fair fair cop. Where 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 are these guys going to live? What do you mean these people? You know what I mean? Like where's this huge influx of of immigration that we're going to have, which is fantastic. Where what's what's the actual plan for that? Yeah, so we've got at the moment we've got a very long tail on the housing construction cycle. So actually, at the last count, we've got more dwellings under construction than ever before. Right. I think the challenge is, is largely um, where the supply is going to hit. So that was largely driven by the home builder stimulus. Um, so unlike the property construction booms of 10 years ago, which was largely apartment towers in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, um, this time around it's largely detached homes but spread all around the country, regional cities, um, uh, city fringe of the capitals. Um, but we're seeing a population shift now Um for two reasons. Firstly, the borders are open and new arrivals largely go to Sydney and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got international students coming back as well, of course. And the other thing is that race to the regions or the race for space is to some degree going into reverse. And people are just maybe only two or three days a week, but being called back to the office. So it's creating enormous pressures on the capital city uh, rental markets. Heath would have seen it down in Adelaide. You just can't find a rental. Um, it's increasingly... Uh, building in terms of pressures in uh, particularly Melbourne and Sydney's not far behind. So, um, yeah, it's, it's r- rather a mismatch of stock. We've got a lot being constructed and a lot still to be delivered. But the pressures are building, particularly in those um, suburban and inner suburban markets in the big cities. Aren't um, most of those in under construction, though, accounted for? As in, you know, no one goes out there and buys uh, builds a heap of empty houses here in Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's not like uh, yeah. the number of times people say, oh, it's just like Ireland in 2006. So it's not the same thing. You know, we don't have speculative building yeah. to that degree in Australia. So, yeah, these are pre-sold properties yet to complete. I think another challenge is, you know, I drive down the coast fairly often and you see a lot of these um, units under construction. It's like, gee, where's that taking a long time to complete? I think there's been capacity constraints on the industry. Can't find tradies, can't find materials. Uh, there's developers going bust left, right and centre. We had a huge scalp uh, announced this morning, Porter Davis, which I think is the fourth biggest home builder down in Victoria. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, uh, 1,700 of those uh, dwellings under construction will now be on a stop work, uh, not to mention you know, all of the um, subcontractors who are impacted as well. So we've really struggled to keep pace with the massive rebound in uh, population as the borders opened. Um but this is, you know, it's not just an issue for the housing market. The supply constraints and supply shocks have impacted virtually everything over the past couple of years, and um, housing's no different, especially rental housing. I saw you uh, put a tweet out here, which is fascinating to me. Fascinating to me because I've got this big Indian thing going on at the moment where 3 million 
permanent migrants in Australia in August 2021, 87% in the capital cities, 56% of them were in Sydney and Melbourne. India is now miles out in front. This is your tweet. Miles out in front as the main country of birth uh, with 15%, which is all just under half a million people um, as the main country of birth. Uh, yeah, the- so there's definitely been a pivot in that direction. If you actually look at the long-term and permanent migration, uh, India actually overtook China some time ago. I think there's um, it's a bit of a diversification point. Obviously, the relationship with China has uh, cooled somewhat since the Kevin Rudd, Kevin 07 days. Um and in recent years, yeah, there's been a bit of tensions um, between Australia and China, not just international students and tourism, but uh, the political level as well. Um, so, look, um, the Australia's Prime Minister has been over in India and campaigning pretty hard. Then there's some changes going on there. Australia will increasingly recognise uh, university qualifications from India. Um, so it looks as though going forward... Um, India will be uh, the premier source of new migration um, ahead of other countries. I mean, it's definitely been an an Asian tilt over the past 15 years anyway, but maybe more of a switch from China to India going forward. Yeah, and uh, that'll be interesting. I'm actually just going to pay a few bills for the the show. Uh, Speaking of India, if you want access to Indian mutual funds, it's very difficult to get access to Indian mutual funds, except with the Australian Mutual Fund Exchange, which you can go and have a look at the website, amfex.com, uh, and you can get yourself access to pretty much any of the Indian funds that's over there in anything, credit, equities, bonds, whatever you want in India, and also Australia and around the world as well. That's Australian Mutual Funds Exchange, amfex.com. Now, that's big, um, big push into India. Now, uh, where were we? Tottenham. Pete, what's going on with, what's going on with the Spurs? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's a long-suffering... Yeah, it's a long-suffering fellow fan. They've had, they've had moments this year. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the new stadium is unbelievable. Um, I was actually over there um, just a few months ago. Um, so uh, the, the infrastructure's in place, but they need investment in players. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough these days. You're, deep, you're competing with clubs with some very deep pockets like uh, Manchester City et al. Um, so, yeah, look, um, a top-four finish would be a good result, I think, in that context. Yeah. I saw a, a fantastic stat at the start of the year because obviously we know how Manchester City have been charged with uh, a few uh, accounts of fraud and, and uh, breaking the fair play policies, etc. And they went through, you know, if they get stripped of these titles and trophies, etc., who would win what? And, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United, etc., win a few. You know, poor old Tottenham, zero extra trophies. <laughs> trophies I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, they're getting sixty thousand every week, and you can't get a ticket even for the um, cup games. It's uh, football is extremely popular in the Premier League now. Um, even West Ham are getting seventy thousand weekly, and they're mm. in the bottom three. So, yeah, the uh, the game is thriving, but um, it's very tough to break into that top echelon now, um, given the amount of money sloshing around. Did you yeah. say you were, you were recently over in England? I was, yes. What's um, the vibe? What's the vibe over there? Well, it was the, kind of it was very unusual because everybody had been prepped for an energy crisis, which to some degree never happened. It was one of the warmest or mildest winters that people could remember, mm-hmm. and in fact, a lot of um, households have been given um, effectively a concession or stimulus payment uh, to uh, to sort of head off the the power bills spike but actually as it turned out most people didn't need heating for a huge chunk of the winter 
Um, so it was pretty mild. Um, I think uh, inflation is still firing along mainly just uh, food and fruit and veg. So we're still at 10%. Um, but it looks like the European recession, which everyone had kind of assumed is locked in, um, a very mild winter came along, kind of a black swan event, if you like. And uh, mm. as things have transpired, maybe not quite as bad as people were thinking a few months ago. Yeah, they've gone from a natural gas supply shortage to actually they, they have a a capacity shortage now. Um, yeah, it's actually, unreal. It's, it's topping mm. um, as opposed to running out. And they're... They're stocked up for another for another winter. If it is not as mild, next year won't be as mild as this one. So, yeah, it goes uh, back to your point. You know, markets have a way of finding a level. You know, um, if you if you rewind the clock a few months ago and you looked at where wholesale prices were for electricity, it was absolutely alarming. And yet yeah. now we've retraced all the way back down to uh, pre-COVID levels and may even be going further. And uh, the same we've seen it in natural gas prices. And yeah, this is more. Um, Heath's uh, domain than mine, but um, yeah, a lot of those um, spikes in commodity prices have retraced. As as a famous Jurassic Park uh, quote, uh, "Life finds a way." Oh, settle down. Yeah, <laughs> it's Rob, Rob Reddy. Rob Reddy has a really good uh, way of putting it, which is that uh, what is it that price price solves itself in the in the resources space? Um, yep. If the, the solution the solution to high prices is high prices, um, that's. That's uh, that certainly is a way of going about it. So, look, I think it, Harry Kane said the same thing. I think he said life <laughs> finds a way, and um, 2024 uh, Spurs will be top of the Premier League or something along those lines. Anyway, if, yeah, if, not, if he's not at Manchester United, can I bring it back to Australian property just quickly, Pete? Yes. Um, how we were just we were speaking at the top of the show about uh, the commercial real estate in the US. How do we compare over here in terms of vacancy rates, et cetera, here with our commercial uh, real estate? Uh, yeah, look, uh, uh, occupancy rates, as we measure them in Australia, yep. they, 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 look, they've increased, but they, they're really struggling to find their way back, particularly in Brisbane and Melbourne. Um, I think Sydney's sort of inched its way back up, but um, it's been a very, very slow recovery. I think it's it's a bit of a, um, a mixed market. I think A-grade um, office space is still being uh, sort of well-tenanted, but if you've got subpar or sort of B and C grade stock, it's a real struggle. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a real paradox. I've spent a bit of time in Melbourne recently, and um, you know, clearly during the day, uh, the CBD is nowhere near as occupied as it used to be, and yet you go there in the evenings and it's absolutely pumping. I've probably never seen it so busy. So, yeah, the, I think... Um, Look, the, from a structural perspective, Australia is a bit different. Uh, the, the the bank's main exposure in Australia is to residential home loans, much more so than, as you said, in Australia. In America, it's a big systemic issue. Um, but there's going to be some markdowns in office markets. I think um, commercial property. There's you know we've got a booming population, and there's there's other assets that aren't doing so bad. You know, if you've got medical centres or child centres, supermarkets, and so on. Um, even industrial and logistics properties to some degree. But there's got to be some uh, impact in the office market because, um, well, you know, as we're demonstrating today, not everybody's in the office five days a week anymore. And, um, you know, although there'll be some adjustments, um, there's going to be some pain there and some write-downs at some point, no doubt. Yeah, I've noticed here in Adelaide that we've got a lot of new office space coming, coming in and plan to come in. And a lot of that is is uh, guys moving out of the older buildings uh, where they don't meet the environmental standards anymore, the five or six star 
Yeah, I'm understanding that moving into these swanky new offices and leaving the older ones um, empty. Yeah, and this is something that Jimmy flagged on the BIP show maybe two or three years ago, that some of this space <laughs> is going to end up as residential because um, if you've got um, sort of outdated office stock that nobody wants and nobody's using, at the same time that we've got a chronic rental shortage, well, the obvious um, thing that will happen is a repurposing. Um, in London, funnily enough, touching on the English theme, uh, we, we did see some repurposing to, towards build-to-rent stock, and there's a lot of that now. If you go down Wembley Way, there's you know practically half the suburb is build-to-rent. So far in Australia, the build-to-rent um, capital is going into brand new buildings, but maybe there's potential there for some repurposing of old office stock as well. Apparently, it's really hard to do. So my idea was amazing of of that it'll convert. I'm actually watching. I'm watching across the off uh, the other side of my office is uh, is a building that's going up right now. I'm trying to think about who's actually going to fill the space on the other side of Castle Rose Street. Uh, it's just funny that we're talking about it. It's really difficult to convert, though, apparently, and this is Colgo who's told me that, so I mean, I don't know what his expertise is on this one. Um, I don't know what his expertise is on anything, but he doesn't stop from talking. The, g'day, Paul, if you're listening. The, um, it's, it's, it is difficult to convert. So as, as noble as that idea was that eventually you're going to see a lot of commercial go to be converted, it's really difficult to do. Anyone who can crack that code is going to have a really good time. Yeah, well, that's been borne out by what's happened so far in build-to-rent in Australia. If you look at Mervac, Lend-Lease, Grocon, Blackstone, they're all looking at new build, uh, purpose-built, build-to-rent accommodation. Nobody's been repurposing. So that probably underscores the point that uh, you made and actually that Paul Colgan even made. Mm. Um, well, look, I am going to have to wrap it up there or fairly soon. What um, Have you got anything else to talk to us about there? Pete, I think we've sort of ticked all the boxes here. Yeah, the, the main question that everybody seems to ask me is mainly when's the cash rate going to peak? With I think that's been <sighs> talked about ad nauseum. I think um, you know, more sort of uh, to the point, you know, has the, the market reached the bottom in Sydney? Because um, we'll, we'll see this month that price gains will be reported of about 1.5%. I, I think, um, you know, the, the bottom of any housing market cycle is a process, not an event. And there's, there's still downside in... Uh, some of the cities like Hobart and Canberra and Darwin, but in Sydney and Melbourne, there's just such an enormous shortage of housing, particularly rental housing, mm. uh, just anecdotal. And, and obviously the plural of anecdote is not data, but um, we've seen a number of cases where rents are being upped by 50% when new leases come up. Um, and that, that's not the kind of environment where you're going to see price falls. So, uh, yeah, there's a bit to, to happen yet in terms of monetary policy. Um, but if you look at uh, three-year bond yields are well down from where they were a few months ago, we're starting to see fixed rates just coming off a little bit, uh, getting a bit more palatable. We so, did see, yeah, we did see fixed rates drop yesterday as well. Some some yeah, coming through. Um, very interesting. Probably a dozen lenders have cut their three and five-year fixed rates now. So it, it's um, yeah, we're getting closer to the top of the uh, the monetary policy cycle if we're not there already. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's just the the, the story in housing at the moment. Um, We've got population growth running at around, well, close to 600,000 per annum at the moment, and we're not building enough. So uh, it's largely a rental shortage and, and rising rents at the moment. Yeah, uh, and there was a question that I had, and now it's disappeared from my mind. Uh, okay, if you had 50 mil, where are you going to put it? $50 million? This Is a, is this um, specific financial advice for the uh, listeners, or is it's, this just it's, a general? It's a, <laughs> hypothetically, everything is general <laughs> Everything is generally nature. Like in what in what sector, you know, not, not the equities. Don't put in equities. In property. In the real estate sector, where are you, where are you plowing 50 into? 
Yeah, look, if, it, if I had $50 million, I wouldn't be um, worrying too much about the resi space. I'd probably be going into some of the commercial assets. Um, for Australia, things like medical centres, childcare centres, supermarkets, um, I wouldn't be worrying too much about capital growth. I'd just be living on the income and uh, I'd be heading up to Port Douglas, I think. All right, settle down. Oh, th- this is what it was. I remember we had um, at VFS, we had a mortgage broker in. We, we love talking to the coalface guys. We had a mortgage broker in early in the week. And he was just showing us through CRM, showing us how they uh, do the calculations on lending and, and you know, because they've got their aggregators that show what everyone sort of does. And he showed us, okay, if your credit card does this, if, so if we add five, then this is what happens to the rates that come back in the machine. And that was pretty cool. But then he also did mention something to us as well, which is that all these people that are rolling off the fixed to variable mortgages, that a lot of them, yes, you, you, you will be able to stay at the same bank. All of a sudden you just go, Bang! You, you were on two percent. Now you're on six or seven percent. Um, good luck paying for that. Stop going to dinner. Um, cut back on the avocado toast and all these stupid glib things that people say. But the other clangor is that a lot of the people who um, have an LVR, uh, sorry, if the, if your LVR goes above eighty, then all of a sudden you can't move banks without getting uh, mortgage insurance, which you need if your LVR is above eighty. And that mortgage insurance is going to be expensive. It's actually not worth moving. So people are actually going to be locked with their bank if their if their property price has depreciated enough to get them to get them at that above that 80 percent LVR. Yeah, so it's a mortgage prison effectively. Yes, and uh, I think the other thing that, that has changed is that um, I mean, there's been a general shift in this direction since um, APG two two three anyway. But um, during the pandemic, APRA introduced a three hundred uh, basis points or three percentage points lending assessment buffer. We've never had anything like that before, mm. uh, which made sense when the cash rate target was 10 basis points. Um, obviously, it was a risk management tool, but it's still in place now. Um, so there's a lot of people who could borrow. Uh, they're seeing mortgages reset from 2% to, say, 6 and then they can't shop around at a time when there's huge amounts of competition between lenders, but people are stuck. And um you know, I would just uh, say if there's any regulators listening, well, yeah, of course, the three percentage points buffer made perfect sense when you had a, a an unusual situation, cash rate at zero or at the zero lower bound. But now, well, the three-year bond yield is, what, 2.9? Why, why have we still got a record um, sort of nanny state buffer in place that is leaving people stuck on mortgages, can't shop around, mm. uh, investors can't get a loan. So, of course, we've got a massive rental rental shortage, people living in tent cities. Uh, it's just time to go back to a normal setting. You know, two percentage points buffer would be fine. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I, it, it, did do, it was amazing work from APRA as well when they brought it in. I think they actually got our, in the first year of the BIP show, they got our award of, of best move um, solving what was a, a, a very dubious market at the time by bringing in that buffer. Um, yeah, and hey, look, um, I'm not here to – there's nothing more tiresome than people shitbagging monetary policy makers and, <laughs> and regulators all the time, which is what seems to happen. Don't forget APRA, um, they put in place um, the uh, the changes to interest-only lending because at one stage we had 40% of mortgages by value on yeah. interest only, and that, they got that down to 10% with some very smart tweaks. So – uh, it's not to say we just sit here sort of uh, throwing stones. They've done some excellent work over the years. I'm just saying at the current point in time, uh, we've got a rental crisis and people can't borrow. Um, yeah. We need some more rental stock. Heath, final bids? Um, checking out gold, getting a very close eye on gold. It's uh, on the chart. It's forming a very nice 
ascending triangle formation there. Um, inflation data out in the US tonight, PCE data is out tonight. So if that comes in soft, I'd expect us to see a breakout to the upside in gold, uh, down some downside movement on the US dollar, et cetera. Yes. I would not be uh, trying to trade that at, at this point. I think it's uh, 250-50. I mean, if it comes in hot, you're going to see the, the opposite. Uh, you could see gold pull right back. But uh, I'm in favour of gold uh, for the next 12 months or so. Yep. Um, anyway, so that's probably probably where I'm looking at at the moment for in the short okay. term. Not bad at all. Uh, I think that the Bunnies are going to thrash it tonight. It's 8 o'clock tonight, Sydney time, against the Melbourne Storm. Melbourne Storm are colossally overrated, even though the, the shoddy performances they put in, I think that South's the real deal. As much as I hate them, um, they'll get it done tonight. Uh, aside from that also, Heath, I think emerging markets has been talked about a lot with a, with a declining US dollar yep. and, a, and a world that's going okay, the continuing demand for commodities. Um, will continue. China ramping up what they're ramping up. We've seen that with the fact that we're going to run out of copper by August um, yep. based on the inventories. Inventories? Inventories. Inventories. Anyway, uh, based on that, uh, yeah, uh, emerging markets is really starting to shape up as being somewhere that you might want to have a bit of a look at for diversification purposes only. Everything here is general advice. What have you got, Pete? What's your final bid? Uh, well, yeah, look, I'm, I stayed up last night watching the Lions uh, getting all touched up. So, uh, yeah, a bit sluggish this morning and just couldn't get the kids out of bed. But, um, yeah, look, I uh, uh, guess um, we've got an Ashes summer coming up. So I'm hopefully going to get over there and catch a couple of those tests. And, um, yeah, in the meantime, um, just uh, the kids are keeping me busy in Noosa Springs, mainly on the golf course. So, uh, yeah, being pulled in all directions. Not bad at all. Look, uh, that's all that we have time for today. Uh, Pete Wargent from Buyers Buyers, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Heath Moss, always fantastic, mate. Great show. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much to the Australian Mutual Fund Exchange for all the help that they've given. Check out the website, amfex.com. Get yourself a login. Have a bit of a play around in the app. It's pretty cool. Super proud of what they've built. Uh, Look, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks very much. Have a good one, everyone. Cheers, guys. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore Bip underscore show and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan 42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.